Hello and welcome to the Android Central Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, Nothing's Ear One earbuds are coming out very soon. We have a review and we also have Harish here to talk about these much-hyped $100 earbuds. Intel will be making Qualcomm's chips. That's a new one. Did not see that coming, but uh, stranger things have happened. And, uh, you know, strange bedfellows make for good uh, journalism. So we'll talk about that partnership. MediaTek is also making inroads in the Android space, and they have a new tablet and Chromebook-focused SOC. That's actually quite intriguing. We saw our first glimpse of the Surface Duo 2, and yikes, that's all I'm going to say. And there are some more <laughs> leaks and rumors. And oh yeah, the Oculus Quest 2 got halted because of irritation due to the rubber foam that they put on their uh, facial divider thing. I I don't know. We'll We'll talk about that a little bit as well. All right. Joining me on the show this week, Harish, what's going on? How are you, man? Doing good. It's been a busy few weeks with a lot of embargoed reviews. So now that I'm done with that, I'm looking forward to focusing on other stuff. Oh, yeah, because this is nothing exciting is happening in the next two weeks at all. That's just uh, <laughs> definitely the slowest part of the season now. Hey, at least I'll be able to catch up on a sleep first before we get into the next pile of new fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. you got a you got a week. You got a week. Ara, what's going on? How are you? Uh, my allergies are slowly trying to kill me, but I'm good. <laughs> That's what you get for going to Texas. Yeah. But I keep saying that. And Jerry, how are you, man? I'm all right. How are you? How I'm was good. Murder Island? <laughs> Murder Island was fun, actually. Nobody was murdered that I could tell, but uh, it's a big island, so maybe somebody somebody got off while we were waiting for the uh, very, very rickety trains and roller coasters that they overcharged for in the kids' kids area um yeah thanks for holding down the fort last week i listened to the show it was awesome so uh nice job on that it's nice to know that i'm not needed that's um that's that's a good feeling because it means that you guys are are really good at what you do so let's talk about these earbuds harish not only have you and your wife done it again with incredible imagery but these are actually i mean I don't know what I was expecting, but these were one of the most hyped earbuds that I can remember. And they're here. They're $100. You gave them four out of five stars. So just walk us through this Carl Pay world that he envisions for you know his own company, Nothing, these particular earbuds, and maybe what's happening next uh, that you can tell uh, based on you know the quality or, or, or whatever of these product of this product. Sure. Um, first of all, it's very hard for these to match up to the hype that they were able to create. There's no way that they were going to measure up just because of the insane level of hype that was created. But as a product, if you ignore the hype surrounding it, and if you focus on the fact that this is a $100 pair of wireless earbuds, they're actually pretty great for the price. Um, most everyone who will be looking to buy this will come for the design and they have a really interesting design. Uh, they've teamed up with Teenage Engineering. This is a Swedish-based audio firm that has been making synthesizers and quirky products for over a decade. I use a few of their, few of their products and I love their design language. Um, it usually falls into two categories. And the play date. Yeah, and the play date. Yeah, they're making that as well. Right. So 
their design falls into two categories either it's very minimalist like their wireless speaker um you don't see anything it's just a wooden box or they go for more quirkier they go for quirky designs like their pocket synthesizers and their full fledged synthesizer um so this falls uh, in between those two i mean there's a bit of minimalism involved in that there are clean lines there's not a lot of overt design here but it's also quirky because they're going with this transparent look that we really haven't seen in the wireless audio segment before um but as much as i like that they're doing a clear design it's not fully clear they were disingenuous in that regard because they said that the earbuds are fully clear but they're not the stock has a transparent design so that you can see into the battery and some of the internal hardware and it looks really cool but then the part that actually houses the driver and all the other audio bits um that has a regular plastic finish and it's coated with a glossy white coating finish so um you don't get that fully clear design that we were promised but the case also looks interesting because i think that actually has a more clear finish um but i'm also worried that it will pick up scratches because in the 3 days i've used this product it's already picked up two or three visible nicks so i can only imagine just how grimy it is going to get after a few months of constant use from a design perspective there's very little like it out there i really think they're striking at the same time as you mentioned they're not what they were initially teased as these are not the fully transparent tiny little earbuds that we saw in the in the initial teaser and you know that never it never actually the product never really looks like the renders but yeah. to some extent this is a you know that first render was a bit of a fabrication yeah but as a finished product does it feel like a company that's brand new does it feel like it's coming from a company that really only has a few employees and not a great long history of developing hardware or does it feel like something that maybe OnePlus would have made it's actually somewhere between the two because there are clear uh, areas where you can make out where nothing has worked on stuff and where teenage engineering came in so the teenage engineering engineering guys were involved in the design and the audio tuning and those two parts came together really well and nothing handled the software integration and the firmware and that part is still a little iffy uh, out of the box there were <laughs> some issues with the transparency mode and all that but those were resolved with the firmware update that i got a day before the review went live so those and, and and i still feel that there are some lingering issues in that regard because the gestures sometimes fail to work um so in that sense it feels like there's still some polish left but the actual product itself in terms of the sound and the design yeah they feel like they can they came out of oneplus i have a couple problems with these they're 99 bucks they don't have aptx or ldac they got really bad battery life and you need an app to actually use all the features uh i mean i i i can get that with a pair of $69 earbuds i i agree they look really neat and the case especially that's it's it's cool when somebody breaks out of the mold and does something a little different yeah but i don't know I guess I and I also have to admit I'm I'm jaded because I mean I I didn't really expect much 
from these to start with, and I've not used them. So I'm just talking you like, you know, from 10,000 feet looking down without touching them. Yeah. So the thing that sells these for me is the sound quality. Um, like I said, the initial firmware had a few issues. Um, it, the sound wasn't quite refined. And that's what I was going to write. But then with the firmware update, they really fixed a lot of those problems. So it sounds better than most of the $100 wireless earbuds that I have lying around. And I've used most of the ones that were released over the last two years. So I think that's the differentiator that they're going for, the design and the sound quality. What about the app? You mentioned that you know this was something nothing built from scratch. I hate saying that. It sounds <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Um, these are an SEO nightmare, by the way. Like yep. with, the, with the one in in parentheses, it's just oh my god. Anyway, um, so how does the app work? Increasingly, companies are relying on apps to augment their products, um, enabling disabling features. Yeah, stop doing that. I have a pair of earbuds. Um, Erin, actually, it's they're the Erin A3s. These are the this is the company actually out of Sweden that made the first pair of true wireless earbuds with the Erin M1 back in like 2016. The app on these is so bad that it makes the experience of using the earbuds almost intolerable. And I'm wondering, did nothing get past the hump here? Um, not, not really, not at this point, because it's very basic in terms of what the app actually does. Um, in fact, they were very clear in mentioning that you can use these earbuds without actually installing the app. And the only thing it does right now is adjusting the noise isolation. There are two modes to choose from, so you can toggle between the two. Um, the maximum is enabled out of the box anyway, so you don't need to change anything. Um, and the other thing is gesture control, but even that is very limited because you can only change the gesture for the triple tap gesture, and that's not really very useful. And there's a press and hold gesture as well. So it's very limited in terms of customization. I've been told that they will add more features later, but right now it feels that there's still work that needs to be done on this area because they were clear in mentioning that it is still not quite the retail firmware yet, but that th those will be available uh, once these start going on sale, I think mid-August, I think it was August 17th. So there's still a few weeks left and they said that they would make some final tweaks. Got it. All right, lastly, sound quality. So you, you're saying in your review, these have very good sound. They actually punch above their weight in terms of their price and you compare them to earbuds that are twice as expensive. So Galaxy Buds Pro level sound quality. I mean, that's pretty good, especially for a single driver um, product. How do you think they achieve that? I mean, is, is this just a much higher quality driver or is it well calibrated? Is it about the comfort of the the silicon tips? Like what what gets it there? Yeah, I think it's very well balanced. I think they nailed the calibration of the driver itself. Um, they mentioned that they were trying to go for a dual driver design, have a smaller driver in there, but they couldn't get that to fit with the size constraints that they had. So they went with the single driver and I like the balance that they have here because it feels more natural in terms of the way the sound works. And for the sort of music that I listen to, it's mostly heavy metal or 
synth focused tracks these sounded particularly good on the ear one more so than what i was actually expecting because i thought that they would they would not be quite as good out of the box and they weren't um until i talked to them yesterday about the firmware and they said that the final firmware still wasn't loaded on these things because they had some issues in getting it over there so there's still some stuff that needs to be fixed but even as it is now with the firmware that i was running they sounded pretty much i mean on par with the galaxy buds pro and those i think are still the best sounding android wireless earbuds right all right so these are going on sale mid mid august uh they are going to be available pretty widely looks like you can get them from nothing's website uh in india at flipkart anything else you want to say about them yeah two points uh one thing is Uh, that's particularly interesting is they cost 20% less in india i think this is again down to kalpe understanding the indian market and knowing how oneplus was able to leverage the audience here for its initial growth i think they're following a similar trajectory now uh with nothing and i think that's going to be a bush, big push for them the indian market um so i think i see them do, i i i think they'll do really well here uh, and the second thing is we're going to get another pair of wireless earbuds pretty soon just actually in time these go uh, these become available the oneplus buds oneplus buds pro and it'll be very interesting to see where they launch right so the oneplus buds pro were announced alongside the nord 2 yeah. but nobody's used them yet so we don't really know how they compare but from what i can tell aside from their striking resemblance to the airpods pro uh, which <laughs> is no surprise given that the OnePlus buds looked almost identical to the AirPods just in blue. The actual credentials seem pretty good, right? They appear to be taking sound quality much more seriously. They are they have active noise cancellation. They're also passively isolating, which the original OnePlus buds did not do at all. So they're OnePlus seems to have learned from their mistakes, if you can say that. Yeah and from what I've heard from my sources inside OnePlus it looks like they're using the Oppo Enco X as a base um now this isn't a product that is familiar to anyone outside Asia because they don't sell it outside China and India but these are fantastic uh, wireless earbuds i think they retail for around 130 or 140 dollars in the equivalent of that in India and they're using that as the base so if OnePlus is able to basically carry the design from that product and sell it in the US and other global markets for around that same price 130 to 140 dollars i think they have the potential to dethrone these and maybe even the buds pro but then we should know more about those next month do we know about this LHDC codec that they are essentially stealing from Oppo like what what is it it's basically similar to LDAC but then Oppo likes to Oppo is like the in BBK brand that invents new things Vivo does it on the hardware side of things with all of its crazy designs and the motorized cameras and that sort of stuff and Oppo tends to do it on the software front so they do a lot of the stuff this stuff around charging tech and coming up with new codecs coming up with new software innovations uh, I 
don't know where it'll go but it looks like they're serious about building an ecosystem because until now they haven't taken that seriously i think only in the last 12 months they've changed because uh, they're also now coming out with the second generation of their smartwatch it looks like the apple watch but it is still one of my favorite wear os watches it does a lot of things right for that under 200 price point um and they also have those wireless earbuds i've mentioned they still don't sell them globally but i think they'll start to change that or um have these rebranded and sell them under the oneplus label because that has better global recognition yeah that sounds about right oppo has been releasing earbuds and and headphones for years yeah. before they made smartphones yeah the mm. planar they were one of the first brands to create planar magnetic headphones and they were fantastic Yeah, I have a pair of the neck buds. Um I I don't know the name, but uh they're they're pretty good for the price. Yeah. Now, these have that Qualcomm CVC, right? Yep. The um the, the OnePlus buds, clear, yeah. Do they that's what I'm asking, the clear voice. Yeah, they do. Stuff. They not think, I think okay. so, yeah. Yeah. But not the OnePlus stuff. Oppo has its own derivative of that and they use it on their earbuds. All right, let's move along and uh switch gears talk to talk about this Intel Qualcomm partnership. So, Jerry, um give us a bit of the backstory here around Intel basically trying to diversify its revenue sources, saying that they're going to um start manufacturing chips for other companies using its fabs, they're update, updating its fabs so that it'll they'll be more competitive with TSMC. and Samsung and now Qualcomm which is a pretty big competitor of Intel is actually going to use Intel's fabs to start producing its chips. Yeah, there there's two things to look at here. Number one, it Qualcomm's going to have everybody make their chips. It's not like this is some, you know, tight-knit partnership between Qualcomm and Intel to make Qualcomm Snapdragon processors. uh Qualcomm just we we know that they have trouble keeping up with demand so this is just another avenue to manufacture their chips and uh it's a little risky for Qualcomm because you know it's untested and it doesn't even happen until 2024 so it's not like they're going to start doing it tomorrow and then on the Intel side Intel has an, a new way to manufacture you know smartphone chips or you know PC chips or any any kind of processor that that changes the basic design and Intel claims that it's going to be like 20% faster and 20% more efficient and it's also going to be on a 2 nanometer process which is going to make it an extra you know x percentage efficient so it should be great for battery powered devices uh you know the jury's still out this is just intel making these claims i don't know you know how they they reached you know the the idea that they'll be just as powerful or more powerful and use less power to do it uh, unless they're just you know following the trend of that's what happens every year i i don't i don't see any reason why intel's making the big deal over the new design and if you are a processor geek or an engineer or something 
Intel's not using FinFETs. They're using something new called RibbonFETs, which just switch faster. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, a, a FinFET switches so fast that it's undetectable. Well, Jerry, the the efficiency here isn't coming from their necessarily the manufacturing process. It's more that they're going to be able to power the chips from the back from instead the of back. having to have yeah, the, I had, had have that, there the power cord or the power circuits on the front with all of the other circuits that are on the die. My my dad's an engineer and is retiring tomorrow, and this is the kind of stuff he's done for literally the last 30 years. So he, he found that interesting, but he still wasn't sure about Intel's new process because the 28, the A st- stands for angstrom when it comes to fabrication of these chips, right? Yep. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so, I hadn't got to the, the, the power design yet, but era, you know, that that's one thing that, that should make a big difference. Uh, it's a shorter circuit path. It's placed closer, you know, to the source of power. And it's going to push less heat onto the components that need to switch. And they'll just work better because they're not, you know, on a on a heat sink with a, a bunch of power switching circuitry. Uh, it's it's good. It's a good thing overall. I'm a little skeptical that it's going to be, you know, God's gift like Intel wants us to believe it is. So one thing I'm curious about is Intel's famously struggled to get its own chips below 10 nanometer. Um, now, obviously, producing ARM SOCs is a very different process and right. is not comparable to getting an x86 chip to 7 nanometers or whatever. But Harish, when Intel claims that it's going to be able to produce these ARM-based processors um, on two nanometers, what is it actually saying? Is it is it saying that it's going to beat TSMC and Samsung to that finish line? Is it is it going to be able to do it at all? Or is is this realistic? Like, is it going to get there around the same time? Are we expecting two nanometer in our Qualcomm SOCs by 2024? Um it's it's not it's not a white and black situation. So what Intel does with its packaging is entirely different to what TSMC and Samsung do. And I think that in part has been a bit of an issue for Intel because even though it says that it's making its uh, chips on a 10 nanometer node and while TSMC and Samsung have moved to 7 nanometer and 5 nanometer, um, Intel's 10 nanometer is nearly equivalent to TSMC's 7 nanometer that AMD uses on its Ryzen 3rd gen chipsets so intel has had that disadvantage as it were when it comes to its naming and that's what it's looking to change by switching up its processor uh, process node naming convention um but even accounting for that i don't see them making the switch to euv lithography before tsmc and samsung because they are already there so i think they would try to catch up and maybe get there at about the same time um, but again, I don't see them beating TSMC or even Samsung for that matter. Yeah, I'm, I agree. It's TSMC and Samsung are both going to be at two nanometers by their own measurements yeah. by, by 2024. Yep. All right. So on a scale of one to 10, how big a deal is this partnership then? It sounds like a big deal because Intel and Qualcomm are rivals and Intel is trying to you know, 
Well, Qualcomm is trying to eat into Intel's market share in the computing side. Intel's not really doing much on the smartphone side, but by Pat Pat Gelsinger, the new CEO of Intel, is trying to diversify Intel's revenue sources, and this is one way of doing it by using existing and new fabs to produce chips for other companies. It feels complementary in a way that if you look at something like Microsoft, Microsoft's been really or even Samsung, it's been diversifying its revenue sources by partnering with other companies, identifying areas where it's strong and kind of acquiescing to areas where it's not. And Intel is no longer a mobile player. It's not competing directly with Intel with Qualcomm anymore on producing smartphone chips. So does this partnership ultimately make a lot of sense? I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you have to remember Apple versus Samsung on one side of the page and you flip it over, Apple and Samsung are great partners yeah. that both, both can happen at the same time. Uh, Intel and Qualcomm are going to fight over the notebook, laptop, tablet space. That's, that's just going to happen. But that doesn't mean Intel also can't be a good strategic partner to build Qualcomm chips that it's trying to compete against. Yeah. I think Intel will take a similar strategy as what Samsung has done, where Samsung Electronics is in no way relevant to Samsung's SLSI business. So I think with the Foundry services, they are also trying to do something similar where they can offer partnerships to Qualcomm or anybody else that needs a fab because that's where their competitive advantage is um, and make sure that their actual design teams don't get any of those um, secrets because I think that was the key issue that made that was a key factor in samsung uh being able to spin out its foundry business uh, i think a decade ago isn't another factor here that intel is trying to compete or at least be a viable third option to tsmc and samsung as far behind as it's going to be because right now isn't tsmc like by far and away the biggest fabricator manufacturer of chipsets and we've seen that having so much of that be concentrated in one company is a bad thing overall for the market? Particularly uh, in context to the escalating tensions between China and Taiwan and where the U.S. fits into that. Yeah, it's not ideal. And I think that's why we're seeing moves in this sector where Intel and MediaTek and even Global Foundries, well, Intel is saying that it'll acquire Global Foundries and that'll give it an edge for maybe in the automotive sector. Um, so I think that is driving a lot of the push as well these days. Otherwise, everyone was okay with the status quo until the pandemic came along, where they were content with just offloading their designs to TSMC and getting a finished product. But I think everyone's reevaluating that with the chips shortage. I, I, I didn't even think of that. Did Intel announce where the fabrication center is going to be? Is it Malaysia? Arizona. Uh, Arizona. They're building two fabrication centers in Arizona, of all places. Uh, no, they won't. It's, <laughs> it's too hot there. They won't be able to afford to do that. It's If you remember, Qualcomm also was supposed to build chips in the U.S. Southwest somewhere, and it, it didn't happen because they're just too expensive. Uh, I would love to see it you know, bring some more manufacturing jobs to this side of the world. Everybody wants more jobs. But uh yeah, the I, I didn't even think that, Harish, is you know, the US versus China, that that's not gonna get better 
I hate to say that because it's, you know, it's not like to me, it's not a terrible thing. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I didn't even think because Intel, you know, American company. And that's going to be important in the future, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. I want to shift to um, MediaTek for a second. This new Companio 1300T, I don't think uh, by itself is a big deal, but it does speak to MediaTek's intentions on the market, right? This is yep. this is exactly where Qualcomm is headed. It It is trying to do... Um, more powerful SOCs, ARM-based SOCs that have a higher thermal threshold. Um, so the cores can stay um, at a, at their highest speed longer and that they can just be more powerful in general with more GPU cores. Um, Harish, walk us through this chip, this Companio 1300T. It's coming out Days after the Dimensity 1200 debuted in the Nord 2, that chip has actually performed better than most people expected it to. And I think it speaks to MediaTek's advancements in um, in the high end. So where does this new tablet and Chromebook focus chip um, place them? Um, just looking at the hardware side of things, it looks like it's the same chipset as the Diamond City 1200 with better thermal headroom because it's using the same set of cores. It's using the A78 cores and four A55 cores. And it also has the Mali G77 with a nine shader option. So um, I think what it allows, what this particular part allows MediaTek to do is crank up the thermal headroom to maybe around 15 to 20 watts because that would be optimal for a Chromebook-based device. Whereas on a phone with the Dimensity, I think they would have to bring that threshold down to under under 5 watts or else your phone will just heat up and melt. Um, so I think <laughs> so I think to account for that, they have like a better thermal headroom with a slightly tweaked design to allow for uh, running on a 15 to 20 watt part. But other than that, it should be nearly identical to the Dimensity 1200. And that bodes well for this uh for wherever, whatever Chromebook that this end, ends up in, because um, I was looking at the Qualcomm Snapdragon 7CX platform, and that felt like it was underpowered for what it was targeting. So if MediaTek is able to get this design one into a Chromebook that debuts at around the same price as what Qualcomm is offering, I think it'll lead to something, it, it'll deliver better performance. Right. I I don't expect this to make a big splash. I agree with you, Daniel. It's not this particular product isn't the the thing. The thing is that MediaTek is is growing and getting better and producing high quality components that is going to go in the stuff that we use eventually, even if this is not the one. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. Like a lot of people say that AMD is getting better is getting better at intel better than intel faster than intel and i don't know if the same is true of mediatek in relation to qualcomm but they're certainly making inroads and yeah. becoming more competitive with qualcomm and that's a very very good thing especially in the north american smartphone market yeah i agree i think they're definitely closing the gap to qualcomm uh, particularly with the dimensity series and even in the high end 
I'm also super excited to see these in the next generation of Chromebooks because there are so many Chromebooks that are powered by MediaTek right now. Right. Like the next generation duet, I hope has this. That way it's a little bit beefier and can handle a little bit more. And Harish, you're right. I'm I'm looking at the show notes on the uh, Acer Chromebook Spin 513 with the Snapdragon 7C inside. And yeah, it, it's a tiny bit of underpowered. Yeah. I wish it could do a little bit more because in every other regard, it's great. Battery is great. It feels decent in the hand. It's just it's just a tiny bit underpowered. So it's good for browsing and not much else. It's interesting how they've changed their entire strategy over the last 12 months with the Dimensity series because last year, most mid-range phones I've used were powered by Snapdragon chipsets, the 765 um, and even a few 855. But now everything is built on the Dimensity 1200. I actually haven't used a mid-range phone other than the Xiaomi Mi 11 Lite that was on the Snapdragon 780. But everything else was on either the Dimensity 1200 or the 1100. Well, doesn't that also have something to do with the chip shortage that we've seen from Qualcomm over the last year? I don't think it's affecting. I think that was more to do with some of their older parts and not uh, affecting any of their current portfolio, at least none of the 2021 launches. Okay. Well, I, I think the, the biggest takeaway for consumers is MediaTek products are going to be a lot cheaper than Qualcomm products uh, because MediaTek has to fight for the market share. So if you have $7 to set aside for the processor in a smartphone you're building, and you're going to get a lot more bang out of your $7 part if you buy it from MediaTek than if you would buy a $7 Qualcomm part. Now, if you can afford to spend $14 on the Qualcomm part, it's going to be a much better piece of gear. Uh, MediaTek is eventually going to make that $14 part too. And that's what gets me excited, that MediaTek is just going to keep getting better and better. Yeah. All right, let's talk quickly about the Surface Duo 2. So these leaked earlier this week. Windows Central um, confirmed the legitimacy of these images. You see both black and white skews. The phone looks externally to be pretty much the same, except that it has a triple camera setup on the back, on the, on the right side. With it a, doubles as a kickstand. <laughs> it's a big, <laughs> it's a big, uh, it's a big hump there. But honestly, I mean, I would have been happy with just one camera that was decent. So I think Microsoft may be overcorrected here, but we'll have to see because the Surface Duo's single internal camera was a shit show. It was, just to put it mildly, it was awful, barely usable. The firmware also barely worked for the first three months. And um, so this this looks like a, a decent correction. They've also moved the USB, um, USB-C charging port to the right side. There were a lot of people who broke their USB-C port because of the thinness of the frame, so hopefully they fix it. And they're moving to a Snapdragon 888 along with um, 8 gigs of RAM and uh, 5G support. And and they're putting NFC chip, uh, NFC support in there, which uh, the first Surface Duo didn't have. It does look a little bit thicker than the previous generation, at least anecdotally. I can't tell, and we don't have 
specific numbers, but I actually think that's the right move. Uh, Microsoft made a huge deal about how thin the Surface Duo was closed. It was while while closed, it was the same width as many phones um, by themselves, and open, it was like super thin, like basically the the thickness of a of a USB C port. Um, if if it is a couple of millimeters thicker, I actually think that will be the right thing as long as they keep it light. And I have no doubt that Microsoft will do that. My my lingering concern here is the software. The Surface Duo has not been updated to Android 11. Microsoft has not made enough um, of an effort to fix these lingering bugs in the Android 10 based software. And I just don't trust them to do enough to to get the Surface Duo 2 on the right track from day one. So here's hoping. But yeah, I, I don't know. For the Duo, could they, because Android 12 is one there, Android 12 is when we're getting more of the foldable technology, right? More of the foldable, like standardization APIs, all of that stuff. Am I correct? We are. Yeah, you're you're right. Yeah. But like that. So wouldn't it be possible that they're just skipping Android 10 because it's already so late in the game and just being like, okay, we're developing the Duo 2 on Android 12. That's what we're going to update the original Surface uh, Duo 2 as well. Sure. I mean, that in an ideal situation, that would be great. I don't I don't think that's actually going to happen. Yeah, you know, all I need to do is look at the 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 picture of, of this thing and I have to ask, how are you going to use it? Fold, fold it over. You're not. That camera just makes it so you can't fold it back on itself flat. And that to me means it's not a phone anymore. It also means that it's not going to lie flat on a table, no matter if you have it in phone mode or tablet mode. You'd have to keep it in laptop mode in order to have it not, in order to have it lay flat on a table. This this looks like it's a really neat folding tablet or a tiny little folding laptop, and that intrigues me to no end. But as a phone, this thing's dead in the water. It was never a phone. Like Microsoft made it very clear that this was not meant to be used as a phone. Yeah, but the, the first one you could use as one device. You could make a phone call on it against your ear if you had to. This one, you just you can't use it with one hand. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be very difficult to use with one hand because of the way it's going to fold. Uh, and that just kind of takes its dual purposeness away. So I, I don't think that's true because what's going to happen is when you fold it back on itself, the camera hump is going to create a little bit of a wedge and you're going to have a situation where the rear screen is going to be at an angle and it's actually going to make it a little bit easier to hold. Maybe, yeah. I predict that that this will not be a big deal and that, in fact, okay. it will be preferable to hold it in one hand because of that rear angle than holding it flat. And and I, I say this as a Surface Duo owner. I use the thing every once in a while and it is almost too flat it's a little bit too difficult to use one-handed because it's so wide and i think that by adding that screen wedge that angle with the camera bump it's going to mean it'll be easier to hold it'll give you a little like a little bit something to grip onto and if they make the phone a little bit na- like narrower the entire width a little bit, you know, shortened, it'll actually mm-hmm. be a better experience for most people. 
So I'm hoping that's why they added the camera hump where they did. But we'll see. In other foldable news, Samsung's mobile CEO confirmed that the Fold 3, the Z Fold 3, will support uh, the S Pen. He also mentioned that there will be no Note this year. So we knew that, but this is now confirmed. But he did say that the Note capabilities will be put into other devices. He said, further broaden beloved Note features to more Samsung Galaxy devices, um, and that the company is preparing to unveil a new S Pen, quote, designed specifically for foldable phones. So Harish, we kind of knew something was happening because we'd seen FCC documents claiming that the Fold 3 would support the S Pen, but we weren't sure if it was going to be the same S Pen as on the Note series. How would that really sharp plastic nib work on what we assume to be a softer screen on the Z Fold 3. We now know Samsung is probably creating an S Pen with a much softer, more capacitive-like nib that will not damage that plastic layer on top of the Z Fold 3. At least that's my opinion, but what do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably probably the case. I mean, for them to even consider offering the S Pen with it um, shows that they've made considerable improvements to that glass layer because it was still pretty fragile on the Z Fold 2. So I think they're at a point where they're able to confidently say that you can use a stylus, but um, I think they're going with something that is softer than the regular S Pen because I doubt it would be able to work reliably with the one that is currently available for the S21 and the Note 20 series. So I think we'll see something that's softer and at the same time the glass being much more durable because now we're in the third gen and i think they would have made a decent number of improvements over the last 12 months i'm just interested in how they're going to do the digitizer if or or maybe this new s pen is built differently and doesn't require a component in the display i i don't think that's the case but you never know uh but is it going to be a digitizer that can fold or is it going to be two digitizers connected with a piece of ribbon cable? Uh, I, I can't wait till I fix it, gets one of these and tears it apart. Yeah. Oh God. It's so expensive. <laughs> I That's why was, I didn't ask I if we're allowed whenever to do I it. fix it, like <laughs> tears down a unfixable $3,000 products. And you're just like, Oh, it's so bad. It's usually Apple, but in this case, you know, they're not going to be able to put it back together in one piece. No, no, this, and you know, I can accept that on this one. I still think that you should be able to repair everything you buy yourself, but some things are just the way they're designed. It's it's, it's almost going to be impossible, and this is going to be one of those things. We have a right to repair story that Shruti's writing uh, should be should be out by the time you you listen to this. Um, all about what is happening in right to repair in the U.S. and the advocates for it um, are, are trying to actually not just mirror, but go ahead of where Europe is in terms of rights repair legislation, especially around tech, and um, force companies to make their products a little bit easier to repair, but also make it force them to allow third-party vendors to get access to their documentation and schematics so that they're not limited to authorized repair centers. Um, interesting stuff. Really, really cool. But yeah, yeah, just stay tuned for that. Phillips Electronics, if you're out there, I want you to read this story. 
<laughs> because you and I, one day we're going to get locked in a steel cage together. Oh God, I, I feel sorry for Phillips. <laughs> All right, other Samsung stuff. Samsung teased and then confirmed the release date for One UI 4. Uh, the beta will be available for the Galaxy S21 series in September. Not really surprising, given that it'll be based on Android 12. Uh, this is the familiar cadence at this point for Samsung. It always brings the beta to its newest phones first. Yeah, um, I'm excited. I I'm really, really excited to see what Samsung does with Android 12. They've had a lot of time with it. Google released the first developer preview. I think it was like early March, late February this year. Um, they've we're having, you know, seven betas or whatever, six or seven betas. Like they they've had a long time with this. I think the first One UI four beta should be pretty stable. However, we've been talking a lot about how unstable the Android 12 beta is on the Pixel. So who knows? Maybe it's also translated to, to Samsung. We'll, we'll have to wait until September to find out. Um, I The only real like c- concrete UI update is, um, according to a Twitter account, ChunVN8888, uh, One UI 4 will bring, quote, major changes to app icons and the overall color scheme, and that it'll adopt Android 12's material you design language. So not really surprising. Google is encouraging companies to adopt its universal, like its universal theming engine. And hopefully Samsung will get rid of its current one, which is pretty bad. Ara, what, what do you think well, about this? I'm going to start by saying Samsung's theming engine is not entirely bad. It's just mostly bad. Because, I mean... If you're if you're willing to get into um, Goodlock and Theme Park, you can change the UI to make it look to m- at least color match it and make it look good for your phone or g- look good f- with your wallpaper. But at the same time, Theme Park is an absolute train wreck to try and get everything themed correctly because you can't just be like, okay, I want this color for all of these elements and this color for all of these elements done. You have to set everything individually, and most of the themes in the Samsung Galaxy Store are crap like unmitigated unredeemable crap so i'm hoping that they get rid of the theme store and i'm hoping that they focus a little bit more on having the themes be more adaptive and more intuitive and less oh you need to go futz with everything if you don't want to use the default so that i want i just don't think anybody like we should never take for granted that people like use Good luck, which is not a, it, it's it's no, popular, but it's not a widely using used it. product. No, it's not. It's most people, they just go into the theme store, they find one that doesn't look totally offensive to them, and they set that and they just leave it alone. And so they have a theme from like their Galaxy S8 that they just keep pushing and pushing to the new phone. Yeah. I, I'd go a step further and say that most people, the, the furthest they'll go is just change their wallpaper. Yeah. That they're not digging dream. for themes. Uh, that That's what... I mean, if if Samsung adopts, uh, you know, color switching and stuff based on your wallpaper, a lot of people are going to love that because they can just change their wallpaper and everything kind of matches it. The mm-hmm. problem being that's the one part of Material U that is going to be exclusive to Pixels at launch. So Samsung is either going to have to wait months later, probably when the S22 or, or do launches. Or it themselves. Or do it themselves. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do it themselves and come up with something that is as 
accessibility friendly as what Google has done. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Samsung will have to come somewhere in the middle as it always does. And there's like competing forces within Samsung. Some people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure some people want to maintain power or, or at least control over its own one UI destiny. Whereas others are like, here's a robust set of tools that Google's building for us. Why don't we just use those? Like stop being obstinate for the sake of it. And Samsung admittedly is getting better at that. Yeah. Over yeah. the years, it has relented a lot of control back to Google. Whether that's a good thing or not is is kind of your opinion. I think it's a good thing because Google is strong in, in, in services. Samsung is not. But we'll see. I, I, I really don't know at this point. Regardless of whether or not they use the new theme system or not, or if they use any dynamic system, the only thing I need from Samsung out of One UI 4 is that the 35 individual hex codes that are going to be used for like widgets and apps that can draw in from that, I want those to be set properly, regardless of if it's a dynamic theme or if they're just going to use, okay, you get to pick one of 10 colors, here you go. Uh, But I need those to be set properly, otherwise the widgets aren't going to look good. And Samsung phones are not going to look good compared to Pixel and everything else that is going to use standard Android and is going to set those properly. Yeah. So you can do whatever you want with the rest of the theme. That's non-negotiable. All right. We will have more on that very soon. Obviously, it's only a couple of weeks until Samsung's unpacked event. So we will be covering all of that. I will be um, hopefully seeing the products in person, which I am nervous about because this will be the first in-person Samsung event that I I will will be attending. So, you know, cross my fingers, but um, I'm venturing into the COVID cesspool that is the U.S. again. Uh, I wouldn't do it. Sneak me out of Galaxy Watch 4, please. I will will definitely not steal you some unreleased product (laughs) that will get me banned for life. I would stay in your own COVID cesspool up north, and we are keep the we're two doing separate. pretty well, actually. I, yeah, I you are, you are. That's that's good. You all right? Uh, enough enough COVID stuff. So let's let's quickly go through the rest of this this news, and then we'll wrap up. Android thirteen. We don't know anything about it other than its internal code name is tiramisu, which is a no brainer. Completely <laughs> irrelevant because the yeah. the delicious desserts are you know, sweet treats or whatever are no longer used publicly, but obviously internally they are. Tiramisu is the obvious choice, in my opinion. Tiramisu is the best. Can't really Taco argue with that. Would have been pretty good, but... What are some other tea-flavored sweet treats? Taffy. Taffy. Tacos. Tacos. Oh, sweet yeah. tacos? Well, tacos are so good that it doesn't matter that they're not sweet. Android 13 Tacos. Honestly, that would fit in with more foldables next year. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it. Really don't know much else. Android 12 was snow cone internally. Android 11 was red velvet cake. And then Android 10 was quince tart, uh, which is, I still can't believe that was a thing. But anyway. Stop it. You're making me hungry. <laughs> I know, me too. All right, we also got a quick uh, a minor update to Android 12 Beta 3. It's now called Android 12 Beta 3.1. It was like a 2 meg update on my Pixel 5. Fixed a couple of restart um, looping bugs and a few other areas of instability around rotation. Um, glad it's out. 
not a big thing. Nobody's really going to notice much changes if, if you weren't having those problems, but glad to know that it's available. We're expecting beta four in mid-August, so stay tuned for that. That'll be a release candidate. Last thing I really want to talk about is that Facebook halted sales of the Oculus Quest 2 briefly um, until August because of people complaining of irritation around the facial insert, the foam insert that's included in the box. Uh, They said that a very small number of people were complaining of of skin irritation with the existing insert. So they've stopped selling the 64 and 256 gig models. You cannot buy them right now. They're instituting a free insert um, replacement system. So if you have an Oculus Quest 2, you can go to the website and just order one for free. And it's going to be based on different materials. And then starting in at the end of August, August 24th, you will be able to buy a 128 gig model, which I believe will actually replace uh, the 64 gig model, which is now yeah. discontinued. So yes. it'll be 299, the same as the entry level 164 gig model, and the 256 gig model will continue to be 399. I mean, this is obviously a good move. I have actually not heard of anybody affected by this contact dermatitis, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a wider spread issue than than. I mean. It had to be a big enough problem that the Consumer Product Safety Commission stepped in. Yeah, so, so it wasn't a very so this tiny... Wasn't, this wasn't necessarily Facebook pulling a recall so much as it was Facebook wanting to get ahead of whatever the CPSC was going to right. make them do. And it, it's easier to just be like, okay, we're going to stop selling these for a month so that we all don't buy the 64 gigabyte version before we come out with the 128 because so many people complained about not having enough room on the 64 gigabyte model. So it's say, okay, we can take something that would be bad PR and turn it to, into something that will be a gift for the players. If, if you recall, I mean, most people haven't heard the CPSC mentioned since 2016. And that's because they were heavily involved in the Note 7 recall. Um, yep. They were the ones that, that initiated the first recall and then the second recall. And then finally uh, worked with Samsung to get all of them... Uh, all of the the use the uh, units physically recalled and and then I guess was help was was working with the F uh, what's the flight organization FAA the FAA to make those annoying announcements every time you boarded a plane for six months or so after the recall <laughs> they continued for about an hour for about a year and a half in India by the way so that was fun really yeah. I think wow, the, that I think, sucks. Yeah, I think it was a year and eight months or so until the regulation aviation authority here finally decided that nobody is going to still have a Note 7. And they didn't even launch the Note 7 in India. So they didn't have to do a recall. <laughs> I mean, this is neither here nor there, but it's coming up on five years since the Note 7 was released. Uh, mm-hmm. or, yeah, it was released on August 19th, 2016. Uh, it was announced on August 2nd. So I'm really, we're going to do a retrospective on what happened. Alex is getting it all together now. It's a couple weeks away, but I am, I'm floored that it's been five years already. It really does not feel that long ago. We should have a bonfire. The worst thing is we don't know <laughs> what happened. Samsung's, Samsung's, what they said happened is a lie. 
Sorry, Samsung. There are a lot of people out there who know enough to know that you lied. Uh, it'd be awesome if Samsung would come out and tell us exactly what the problem was now that it's been so long. Problems, Jerry. Because remember, yeah, well, it got recalled a second time because they sourced a battery from another vendor and that was also not working. Like, yeah, so that tells me it wasn't the battery. It wasn't. It couldn't have been the it battery was, cells themselves. It was the nope. The like the 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 connector between the battery and the motherboard, or or they were trying to charge it at four point six volts instead of four point two. That could have been part of it, Samsung. Mm. But uh, anyway, yeah, I I, I do want to dig into it a little bit more. But anyway, yeah. if you have an Oculus Quest two, get get your free silicon insert. It's it's not a big deal or go to vr cover i'm not i i i I use a vr cover insert it's way more comfortable it's like plush pleather it's way better when you're playing for longer periods it's also much more sweat resistant and easier to clean i have no skin in the game you can do what you want but i really liked the vr cover one that i yeah if you're you know looking to buy something do yourself a favor and and get something that's not rubberish Get something mm-hmm. that's like the lore feeling, and you'll you'll be a lot happier. All right, that's uh, that's all of the news for the week. Uh, aside from the fact that Google earned lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of money in its Q2 earnings, we're not going to dig into them. But uh, other than YouTube revenue grew nearly a hundred percent year over year, um, fifteen billion daily views. Overall revenue was sixty one billion dollars, which is just a, an enormous number. Especially considering that this quarter last year was when YouTube ad revenue ramped up during the pandemic because everybody was stuck home for the summer. Yeah. It's just, so just that's wild. just ridiculous. Uh, and there's a, yeah, there's a lot more, a lot more to come from, from Google because they're still losing money on their cloud business somehow. But uh, that will probably change in the next couple of years. All right. Let's dive into what's making us happy this week. It's my favorite segment, and uh, I I have a good one, so I'll save it till last. But uh, Harish, what is making you happy this week? Um, I've been playing a decent amount of Valorant. It's a five v five first person first person shooter. My wife plays it a lot. I think she's she racks up at least three or four hours of playtime every day. And she's really good at it, but I don't like shooters, but I'm having fun playing it on and off. So it has been interesting. So compared to the other, it's not a, it's not a, I don't nothing about Valorant. So it's, it's not a, um, Battle Royale, I guess five, five V five is not Battle Royale. Yeah. it's, It's still free to play and it's got like the same, same idea. Yeah, it is. It is free to play. Um, there are you can pay money to buy in-game skins and upgrades and that sort of stuff. And each um, they have individual agents, and each agent has it has their own set of abilities. So there's an added dimension to it. It's not just point and shoot, um, and that makes it slightly more interesting than regular five v five shooters. And I'm finally getting into it. I think my wife has been playing it for just over a year now, and I figured I'll finally give it a go. All right, cool. Thank you, Harish. It's Valorant. Uh, Jerry, what's what's making you happy this week? Uh, actually, something I'm reviewing for work. Uh, you can't buy it just yet. It's be 
two more weeks. The Pantera Pico PC. Oh, nice. It is, man, it's it's like four inches square and three inches tall. It's got an actual quad-core Celeron processor in it, eight gigabytes of RAM. It runs Windows 10 just fine. It runs Linux even better. It's it's just super lightweight. It even comes with a carrying case. This is the ultimate little toy for somebody who's a real computer nerd of any type. Uh, I, I'm I'm loving it. I don't, don't want to spoil the review, but... Uh, it's going to be biased as heck because I love this little thing. <laughs> nice. You can't that be biased like in a review. Well, yeah. Just just saying. You, it's it's an opinion. That's why. Right. It's a my review. opinion is going to be this is freaking awesome. I mean, it's you like can be a biased Raspberry in the sense Pi like steroids, you prefer steroids. Linux and whatever, but um, that is anyway. But whatever. Good. Um, so that's the what is that called again? The Pantera Pico PC. Pico, okay, so we'll put a sh- we'll put a link to the sh- to that in the show notes so people can check it out, and then your review is is going to be live uh, I, sometime uh, around the fifteenth of next month. They they would like people to hold reviews until it's actually available, uh, but but it's not like it's under embargo or a secret. I'll I'll make sure to get the uh, website to Jim mm-hmm. so people that have questions can check it out. It's a really really neat little gadget. Very cool. All right. Thank you. Uh, Ara, what's making you happy this week? Um, This is going to sound corny, but my dad is. My dad is retiring tomorrow after working for like 40 years for IBM. He's he's the last of a dying breed. He was actually a lifer at IBM from when he got out of graduate school till he retired. That is a very rare thing, and I do not think we're going to see very many of those in my generation, but uh, that's something to congratulate because... He worked super hard for basically my entire life, and he deserves to rest. Not that he knows how to do that yet, but hopefully he'll learn. So yeah, I'm I'm very impressed. My uncle um, was at Dupont for like 45 years and only worked there in his in in his career. And you're right; like it's so rare to hear that anymore. So good for your dad. Congratulations. I hope he's. I hope he's. I hope you guys are going to spoil him. Take him out for a nice meal or something. He's doing a happy hour this afternoon with all of his friends and old friends through work and whatever. So, I'm hoping. I'm hoping he has a good happy hour. But I don't think I'm going to go because I don't think I want to crash that. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Probably. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of IBM engineers. You just don't. I can get. I can get messy. They're not all IBM. Some of them are Samsung now. Some of them are Apple now. I mean. Austin's a big tech town these days. Mm. That's true. That is true. All right. Very cool. Um, Well, congrats to your dad. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's making me happy this week is a show on HBO called The White Lotus. Uh, This is a really, really dark satire about a a resort in Hawaii. Uh, It follows sort of three groups of people as well as the um, many employees at the resort. A lot of the, I mean, all all of the visitors are from main from the mainland. They're all very entitled, very wealthy, and it plays on the sort of social dynamics between them and the employees. It kind of exposes the familial, um, you know, conflict. There's a newlywed couple on their honeymoon. There's a big family 
one uh the, the family one of the the, the parents is a um, tech CEO or a tech executive uh, who makes a lot more than her husband and there's that dynamic and they have a they have a couple of kind of typical Gen Z kids there's a woman who is um, attending uh, who's mourning the death of her mother it's just a lot of really great interplay here it's made by Mike White he did School of Rock among other things um, I also discovered that Mike White is uh he's he loves reality television and um he's been in survivor and the amazing race twice so shout out to mike white i i had no idea but uh good for him he actually came in second in his survivor series so it's kind of wild but yeah i mean he's just a long time um actor producer writer he made the show enlightened uh in 2011 which uh, I really enjoyed. It had Laura Dern in it, as well as Mike White himself. But yeah, this is The White Lotus on HBO. Highly, highly recommend it. All right, that's it. Um, So thank you so much for listening. You can find Jerry at GB Hill. You can find Ara at Ara Wagco. You can find Harish at Chunky Nerd. You can find me at Journey Dan. You can find all of us at Android Central. We'll be back next week with another episode. Let us know what you thought of the show, podcast at Android Central. We'd love to hear from you. Until then, have a great week. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Adios.